0: Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt.
0: We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships.
1: If you have those kinds of questions, too,
0: you're in the right place. Here we go. Are you glad to be home, Sherry? I almost fell over my chair.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was a great way to start. I'm apparently
0: not used to being home.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You don't even know how to sit in our chairs. Yes, I am glad to be home. It is nice to be home. Um, I gave, I don't know if you're aware, Matt, but on our drive home, we took two days, and I know you're aware of that, but I had texted our two, (laughs) two oldest sons that were home, giving them fair warning that we would be arriving. Right. And I thought the house might be a little more... Put together because the boys have been string- here for
0: almost a week, yeah. The older two boys, yeah, yes,
1: young men, yes, yeah. we should say, yes. Um, let's just say they are not afraid of the wrath of the dishes person in the house because they uh they ran the dishwasher probably once while we were gone, and um, yeah, there were a lot of a lot of dishes to catch yeah. up on, so yeah. they must not be afraid of us much.
0: I don't know, um, they didn't burn it down, and really, that's yeah. the well and they were alive and the cats were alive, so The cats, you were like twitching over there in your seat next to me those last couple I was hundred miles.
1: Trying hard not to. I was very excited.
0: Excited to see the cats. To be home.
1: Yes. Our youngest who was with us said, Are you excited to see are you excited to be home? And I don't know how he phrased it, but I said, Well, I did just see your brothers not too long ago. Like your, you know, hairless brothers are mostly Furless yeah. brothers, so I said. Uh, but I will yeah, be the, very the kids excited. Kids aren't to see hairless.
0: It. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fur, yeah, furless.
1: You're but I will be excited to, to, excited
0: to see your furry brothers. And um,
1: I think they were excited to see us.
0: Yeah. 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 We're it's it's we haven't been home for long, but it almost feels back to normal. Like for instance, here we are at eight something at night, trying to cram this podcast episode <laughs> in. Uh, getting back to normal is so much fun, yeah, but I like talking to you, and I like sitting across the microphone and doing it, and you know what I'm really excited about. We have a i want to like give a little tease for an upcoming podcast episode. I can't give many details yet because we haven't ironed out many details yet, but it is both what I think is a solid idea and really likely to happen, so I want to put it out mm-hmm. there i we're gonna have someone. I don't want to reveal the person for two reasons. One of the reasons is I want to build. You haven't asked them. That's the real
1: reason. <laughs> Sorry, we're teasing something that you just but thought the of other like reason hours is,
0: ago. I want to. No, I actually thought of it a long time ago. I just talked to you about it hours ago. I want to build a little intrigue, you know. Mm-hmm. But but this person who is a, a friend of the podcast, someone that our listeners just love, we have. Recorded an episode with her in the past. Oops, I just said it was a female, and uh, gotten lots of positive feedback on that episode and lots of follow-up questions. And we're gonna try to have her back and do a question and answer session with some of our our folks that are regular listeners and people that we've gotten to know, and have them on with us and ask some real life questions, not just you and me, but some people who are in the trenches kind of living through this stuff. Ask her some questions real time and we'll record the session and turn it into a podcast episode. I think it's going to be a great one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So so. now we just have to do all of the details because I don't have any of those yet. Yes. But, But hopefully in the next few weeks we'll be able to listen to that. Here's our listener question for today. It's a simple one and I think an important one. And if you... Listeners want to ask your own listener question, send those questions over to us at Matt at Sober and and we'll do our best to get your question onto an upcoming episode. Today's question What changed your mind about therapy? Wow, well, that must mean that sometime in the recent past on the podcast, we've talked about the fact that for a long time I was very anti-therapy. I know we've talked about that on the podcast. I just don't I don't remember when or exactly exactly what we said, but obviously our listener picked up on the fact that I used to be very anti-therapy and now I am very very pro-therapy. And um let let's see what changed my mind. Do you want to cuz well first of all, what was Your mindset, Sherry. We've just talked about what mine was. I I used to be anti-therapy. Were you always pro-therapy or were you ever ambivalent about it? Like as a teenager, were you like, someday I hope I get to go into therapy?
1: Well, no. I mean, I think that's something that with the way that mental health is being viewed now and it's a little less stigmatized, but there were and several times. Time for that. Yes, there were several times in high school and my young adulthood and early college life where I felt like I needed a therapist. And then my mom went to a therapist after she divorced my stepdad when I was in college. Um, so I've always like known it existed, knew it was helpful. Um, so I was always pro therapy. Um, there were lots of times where I wanted to do it when we were married and um you know with younger kids and you're drinking and I was very anxious and you were very hard to convince how I needed therapy and then when i made a yeah i made an appointment through our healthcare system and was going to go in person this was what long ago yeah you know long ago now and i had screwed up the appointment time and you were, of course, happy because for one, it was you didn't believe in it. You were just doing it because other people had suggested that I go.
0: I think this is the story we told recently that this listener has yeah. heard and is thinking of. Yeah. So I said it was a sign from God that you're you, you messed it up on your calendar.
1: Basically, you're like, oh yeah, but it must
0: mean you shouldn't go.
1: Yeah. You don't um, need
0: it or something like that.
1: Yeah. So yeah, but I have always. I've always appreciated it and thought it was useful. And then, you know, I think that I think that you were aware that I needed therapy when you were a couple of years into sobriety and things were not getting better. And we had been talking about it. And I even think that your writing coach helped drag you along into the idea that therapy is a really great and wonderful thing. Because we talked about going to that institute. Unfortunately, that was burnt down in California by the fires a few years ago. We thought about me going there or you going there for uh, a week or something like that. That's
0: yeah, special. I I think my coming around on therapy was gradual. First of all, yeah, I mean, I was hell-bent against the whole concept. Anything um, psychological help, whether it's therapy or pharmaceuticals, for a long time, I think the one of the easiest ways to explain my positioning on it, for a long time... I didn't differentiate. I thought you go to a therapist or you go to a psychologist. I didn't know what the difference was between the different classifications of mental health help that was available. But you go there and they put you on drugs and they talk to you. And gosh, why can't you just talk to me, Sherry? Why do you need to go talk to somebody else? I know you better. That sounds silly to me. And I have... For a long time, not forever, but for a long time, been pretty anti-pharmaceuticals for a variety of reasons. I now have a much, uh, I think, more open-minded view. I mean, I have been fully convinced that sometimes there are pharmaceuticals that are certainly necessary. And for some people, they're necessary to get you to a place where they can you can wean off and they can no longer be necessary. For some people, they're necessary forever. For some people they're life-saving, I'm not, you know, I I definitely want to avoid pharmaceuticals as much as humanly possible based on making good lifestyle decisions, whether that's high blood pressure or, um, you know, trying not to need uh, drugs that address uh, obesity or diabetes or things like that. because there are there's a lot of drugs thrown at lifestyle at poor lifestyle choices. So, so I still think that it's possible. And my goal is to live as much as possible a pharmaceutical free life. But I do understand that they play an important role. But I used to just lump it all together.
1: Yeah. Oh, so you're saying your ignorance of yes. the field is what made you have very strong opinions about yes. something. And maybe alcohol induced there, too. Oh. Of that arrogance of, of you know.
0: Alcohol might have been fuel on the fire. Yeah. But my ignorance knows no bounds, Sherry. And when <laughs> I am ignorant on something, that has never stopped and me from having a strong a sp- opinion about right, exactly.
1: it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that you kind of came around mm, like seven years ago like you were kind of getting comfortable seven, six years ago, getting comfortable with therapy. And well, I've been sober
0: for six and a half years. So okay. I'd like to think I was, was coming before. around longer ago than that. Yeah, so. I wasn't sober when I, I mean, I started to to be able to separate the the idea of getting a prescription from talk therapy and started to see value in it. Now, toward the end, you've got to, you know, there's, so then here's this other whole factor that is very common in alcoholism. I didn't want you talking to anyone because I wanted to keep our little secret. Even a medical professional. I mean, yes, even when there would be times where I would say, fine, if you want to go, go, do whatever you want. I didn't want you to. And I wanted to try to convince you that you didn't need it and try to convince you to just talk to me instead. But, but yes, I started to appreciate the role of therapy. But it wasn't like there was a, you know, I come to Jesus kind of moment, or a you know,
1: light bulb. Light bulb. Aha. Thank you. Gosh, maybe this is a bad time like to for you. <laughs> it and I'm all long. like, nighttime is the right time. This difference between morning and
0: I know, and I night like people. Seeing y'all chipper <laughs> and you were not happy with sharing a hotel room with our youngest and me this morning when we were bouncing around the room. And
1: God, two morning people. We were both
0: dancing behind Uh, behind you while you were in the mirror, in the sink. We were doing...
1: The go-at-home, going-home dance.
0: (laughs) I was pretty excited to be uh, within a day's drive of of home at that point. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Long, long trip. But, yeah, so it was was definitely a gradual thing. There's no question, though, that you can't underestimate the power of of alcohol addiction and the shame and blame and just kind of hidden truth that's involved in that in keeping me, even when I knew it was a value, thinking, eh, maybe we can get away without it. Because I I don't like the idea of sharing our secrets with others. And I don't like the idea of you being messed up and needing help. I mean, I don't think of it that way now. I think of it like to... The degree to which I've come around is, is that I think everybody should be in therapy. I think everybody has things that are challenges they faced in the past that they've either pushed down or they haven't appropriately dealt with or that just continue to eat away at them that they should be addressing and that can be it can be group therapy, it can be individual therapy. I think there's so many, I mean we hear about them all the time, right? We hear about all these different techniques mm-hmm. that are out there um, I don't want to get too deep into that because we'll be over our heads really, really fast. You and I are not psychologists or therapists. This is not our area of expertise. But th- there are just huge advances being made in the mental health field and different techniques, different philosophies. It's not all just lay on a couch and you know tell someone about what's bugging you. There are other ways to get to the therapeutic benefit of the session. Yep. Any other thoughts or pretty much covered that, huh? I
1: think we covered it.
0: Yeah. So, pro very pro therapy. I wish I w- you know, I wish I had more for this listener cuz Yeah, I, I know this particular listener is dealing with someone who maybe doesn't see the benefit of of therapy and Well, that's why I was, so alcohol, I was wondering if alcohol
1: I was wondering if if that's the reason That I kind of brought up alcohol and just your arrogance and opinion. But it was really, you were anti-therapy because you didn't want our life to be exposed, even to someone in a profession like that. So that's why you were against it. And I just didn't want to
0: admit that there was something wrong that needed fixed.
1: Yeah. Because I think that's why a lot of our couples that we know, whether it's from the alcoholic side or the loved one side, there is that. I think that's oftentimes there is a disconnect in the the people we've seen where the person who's in recovery or is still drinking doesn't understand the, the idea that their drinking impacted so many parts of the family in so many ways. And so they just want to kind of push it under the rug and I'm not drinking now, um... And and unfortunately, I think that's pretty common in a lot of people, even if they like go to a support group, maybe like AA, that that's all they do mm-hmm. and they think that's enough for them and they don't understand why their loved ones need anything else except for mild support group, like what they're attending.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They don't understand how traumatic it is to have lived with alcoholism and how much real need there is for help. Yeah. Yeah, they don't understand. The other the other real quick caveat I want to throw in here is we have also seen this backfire. There are a lot, you know, I, I see this not just in therapy, but in in the schools that we work in and with other medical professionals who are drinkers themselves, highly educated, sought after medical professionals, education professionals, they drink. So when you start talking about the dangers of alcohol they push back on that and refuse to admit that alcohol is dangerous they think that the person who drinks too much that's the person that's got the problem alcohol itself isn't dangerous so often when when whether it's a couples counseling situation or individual counseling i mean i just i just heard about another one today where the advice the therapist gave the spouse of the alcoholic was why don't you pour yourself a glass of wine and drink with him when he drinks Because, you know, alcohol is not the problem. You can't loosen up. That's what the problem is. So there's a lot of bad advice out there. So that Mm -hmm. is a a caveat. And I think some of the bad advice comes from perhaps poor training, perhaps a misunderstanding, lack of understanding about alcohol and addiction. But I think some of it comes from, I'm a therapist and I go home and have wine every night. So there's no way I'm going to let someone tell me that that's bad. Because then I, as the therapist... Would have to look at my own drinking.
1: Yeah, that's a that would be pretty disheartening to hear. Yeah, so that's why it's important if you do if you are, you know, seeking a therapist. You should find one that specializes in addiction and trauma and those sort of things. Kind of background check and shop around.
0: Yeah, yeah, we have definitely heard some horror stories, but we've also heard some really life affirming stories. Some really positive things and you and I our experiences have been great we one of the blessings of doing the work that we do is we've gotten to know a bunch of therapists mm-hmm. a bunch of really good therapists and that are just good people I mean that's really what it comes down to do you have a good head on your shoulders are you you know a good you know good hard-working person that's got the best interest of the person people your clients in mind do you have the proper education and training And if you can check all those boxes, uh, I think it's a really positive, can be a really positive experience. The topic today kind of, kind of sort of dovetails. It's not a direct correlation, but we're going to talk about guilt. Guilt seems to have come up in our, our conversations and our interactions a lot lately, and I know it's it's something that we address kind of as a side item on a lot of podcast episodes but I want to take it on head on. You know, I think I think we we as humans are naturally inclined to feel guilt. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think guilt can be a natural motivator. If we do something and then we regret having done it, it's going to help us to not do that thing again or to come at it in in a different way, it's a learning opportunity and it's a, it's a, it's a chance for us to change and grow. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I've always thought of guilt as a little bit of a, um, a help, like a compass, a moral compass. Like if I'm feeling guilty about what I'm doing, maybe it's not the best for me or other people or the environment, or my surroundings, or you know, whatever. Like there's a there's like it's a little signal inside you going, you know, dee 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 dee. Like that's not so great. Yeah. That's not good. Now there's a lot of really awful things when you, uh, you know, have have people trying to make you feel guilty yeah. about your choices, and then you're like, then you kind of question yourself: Am I off? Is am I missing something? But I don't think usually that's the case. I don't usually think that people that are trying to be made to feel guilty about something they're doing by others, I don't think that that's always...
0: You think they should follow their instincts. They
1: should follow their instincts. That's why I feel like it's an internal
0: thing. Yeah, I like that. So you you can instinctually feel guilt. You do instinctually feel guilt. Mm -hmm. I think the reason that this is such a hot and important topic when our main topic is alcohol addiction and abusive drinking, is it, so many things in this world, in this area that you and I live in and work in, it's the case where alcohol is just fuel on a fire. So if you were to feel a little bit guilty because of things that you do, decisions you make, actions you take, oversights things like that when you pour alcohol into the mix it just it becomes an overwhelming situation the the guilt becomes overwhelming the shame becomes overwhelming it's just this is not i would argue how it's meant to go so while i think of guilt as a a motivator and you said guilt is a compass totally agree with you in a normal situation that's not dealing with addiction when when there is addiction in place um, it, it's, it's overwhelm, it's, it's too much the amount of guilt that caught, you know we can get thrown into these shame spirals where we can't stop drinking or we stop for a little while and then we drink again because we're dealing with the guilt and the shame um, as the loved one, it becomes overwhelming as well, some of the things that you do, some of the things you don't do some of the things you say, some of the things you're holding back on saying and it's that's not natural. So as much as I think guilt can be healthful and helpful, it can also be painful and debilitating and it can go too far.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that that guilt you're probably talking about too is guilt that others have made you feel
0: in a lot of ways. Ooh, you're going back to that. I like that. Yeah. Because
1: I think that people can make them, like, say for instance, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a, you know, say I'm the drinker and I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be, you know, watching the kids or whatever. But I'm going to have a a couple drinks. It'll be fine. Even though I told my spouse I wasn't going to drink anything. You know, have a couple drinks and then you feel guilty about it. And then you might drink more because you're feeling guilty and bad. Yeah. So I can see how that spirals out of control
0: or in, in the that moment, level of guilt in the moment you drink more because it feels really good and you just want more yeah and because you've had some alcohol you're not processing the consequences at all and then the next day you feel the guilt and it's just it's overwhelming especially if yeah. this is not the first time and you've you've you you're like how did I end up here again how am I how did I overdo it again? How did I let my spouse down again? Yeah. So it's just overwhelming and I think a good way to to make the comparison. I don't think there's probably anyone listening to this that doesn't understand what we've said. But let's compare that overwhelming guilt with just some normal guilt. And I think luckily we've got a couple of examples just from yesterday from our while we were on our drive home. We found out from one of our kids that and I don't I don't want to because it's one of our kids I don't want to go into a great deal of detail, but there was some confusion with their employer and how late they would be out, and you and I were fighting up for the first time that working for this this summer job that our our son got um, was going to keep him out quite a bit later than we thought, and we said no that is not okay, and. I know I felt guilty because when he got the job, I, it never occurred to me that this would be a problem. Mm-hmm. And I felt guilty because we should have asked more questions when he was applying for the job. Right. Is that the same kind of general area where you were feeling guilt yesterday when we were telling our son, you can't work these shifts that that go Keep, yeah. into the next day, basically. Yeah, that that's that's your schedule okay. says AM yeah. on the
1: closing part of your shift. Yeah. yeah. I did feel guilty about that and I did, and I felt very rushed because we were trying to get him in to interview before we were leaving for vacation. He was going to get a little bit of his training in for not vacation, leave, our trip. for our trip. Yes. Sorry, trip. Um, so, yeah, I kind of feel like I overlooked that. And then I said, well, if it's a little bit past this time, you know, thinking 15, 20 minutes, you know, or if it was a really busy day and it took him a while, he could. You know, communicate with us. Um, I was like, yeah, if it happens every once in a while, that's fine. But we just didn't. Ask, I just didn't ask enough questions.
0: So we. Told so I him, felt
1: guilty because I felt like I didn't do my due diligence about my teenager's job. Which, as a parent, I still feel like I should be doing that in investigating.
0: So we told him, you need to go in and talk to your manager and explain. And we said, look, you can blame us if you want. You can wow. say my parents were confused. But I can't, and this is a one of our kids that doesn't drive yet on his own. So, you know, that's a factor. As we said, you can you can talk about that too. I don't have a ride at that time of night. I don't drive. I can't do these shifts that get off this late. And he was really upset, understandably so. Um, that's, you know, a big conflict for someone that age to have to, to deal with. And so he, you know, his, I think his being upset added to my feeling of guilt, which like same reason as yours, just gosh, I wish I had checked into this more. Yeah. Um, nope. So this is a great example of, I don't think there's anyone necessarily that bears all the blame. Our son could have been more proactive and said, listen, this is when I'm going to get off work or you could have looked into it more or I could have looked into it more. I, you know, it's like with so many things in life. We just didn't communicate enough. And now we have to deal with that. And so that is the guilt that I think of as a motivator. Or like you said, as a compass. Just, okay, I'm going to do better next time.
1: Right. It was just a lesson to be learned. Like our, our kids worked... The two older ones worked in our bakery on Saturday, every other Saturday. You know, we knew when they were going to be home. One of the other... Kids worked at a gas station that wasn't open late, so we knew when he was going to be home, so never even thinking that. Also, I was really out of touch with the new laws that have come into our state that have lessened and letting kids of a certain age work much later or operate things, so it will make me better prepared for the next, you know, because we have four, so we still have one behind them, and any other job that this kid wants to do. So So.
0: after we dealt with that as we're tooling along in Kansas I had made a decision earlier in the day we went to the St. Louis Arch on our way through on I-70 and we took our youngest son who had been up in the Arch before but he was really young Yeah, and so we wanted him to experience that in an age when he was better able to enjoy that and so we did that and then so that put us kind of behind on our normal tracking of our drive and long story short we I made the decision that we could push further and get more of the driving done so there would be less of the driving to do today but I had this Zoom meeting in the evening and I said you know what you're able to call in for those Zoom meetings so maybe I'll just get the dial-in number and I'll just call from the road it'll be a phone call for me instead of a video call and it, it'll it be okay. It wasn't a meeting that I was leading. I mean, my participation was going to be pretty minimal anyway, but we decided to do that. And somehow I didn't factor in the fact that most of Kansas is a wheat field. And when I went to dial in for my call, I couldn't get a signal. And I tried three times, I think. And I was texting with the guy that was running the meeting. So he knew I was trying and he would see me pop up on the screen and they would let me into the meeting. I would listen for a minute and then it would cut, you know, the, the call yeah. would drop. So I was, it got to the point where I was nothing more than a disruption to the meeting. And so, but, so that's another example. I could have made the decision to stop earlier, get in the hotel room. You and our son could have gone and gotten some dinner, gone to the pool, whatever. I'd sat in the, ho- I could sit in the hotel room on Wi Fi. Beyond the Zoom meeting the way it was originally set up and planned, but instead, you know, for selfish interest, because I wanted to get us further down the road, um, I made the decision to take a chance and it failed. It backfired. And so I felt really guilty about that. Again, that's just a normal, like, you made a mistake, don't do it again, learn from it, and move on. Right? Yeah. You got a funny look on your face. What are you thinking over there?
1: Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking of like my, kind of my theory about like guilt being a moral compass. So I think that is, you felt guilty because you feel like you shirked your responsibility and your work ethic was tested. And you, so, but I think you felt guilty and it made you feel bad, but you realize, even if I'm not an integral part, you know, I'm an integral part of this committee that I'm on. I'm not leading it, but I still need to show up and do my part. Right. So I, you know, for me, when it's things like that, don't beat yourself up about them, but use them as a learning experience. And to me, that seems like that's a testament of your character and your work ethic. And I understand that that was very disheartening for you. And you felt like you let people down and you were kind of beating yourself up about it a little bit. Um, You know... Just because of the addition of having the issue with our son. But I feel like it shows what a caring father you are to feel bad about having to tell your son that he has to talk to the manager and his employ, you know, his employer, that he can't do this, that he agreed to do. And, you know, and then for your work ethic. Well... So when there are smaller things like that, I can see that those are easier to overcome So when you've lived a life where you've been made to feel guilty about things.
0: That's exactly the point. And so thank you for making it. So for 20 miles after these two incidents that happened pretty much back to back I sat there and I was mad at myself and I beat myself up and I felt bad for our son and I felt bad for shirking my responsibility and then we got to the hotel and they had fresh cookies right out of the oven right there when I checked in and I had a cookie and brought you and our son a cookie and for you know before we went up to the room and it was water under the bridge and so the point is when these feelings of guilt are not impacted by alcohol on either side of the fence I think this is how it's supposed to work I'm not supposed to be like, I couldn't get a signal, you guys suck, it's your fault, not my fault, and hang up the phone. I'm not supposed to say, hey son, you're an idiot, you should have talked to us about the timing. You know, you suck, you know, go figure it out. That's not how it's (laughs) supposed to work. I'm supposed to feel a little guilty. And because that makes us good people. Guilt, Guilt makes us good people when it's in the right dose and everyone's trying hard and things just go sideways sometimes, as yeah. they are prone to do. But when the guilt is around, oh, I was going to have two beers, but instead I had 12, and I passed out and left the beer can slash bottles, whatever, surrounding me in my chair, and then to you, Sherry, my wife, you and the kids came home and saw The kids got to see their father passed out in a chair in front of a TV that was still on with 12 beer cans sitting around him. And when you woke me up to get me to go up to bed, I called you a bitch for, you know, coming home and uh, not sitting down and watching TV with me or something. Having a glass of wine. with Having a glass of wine like your therapist said you should. So, and then you know, the next day or two days from later, I would feel guilty about that. Guess what? That's not an innocent little thing that happened because um, I didn't do my due diligence quite enough, right? Or I made a decision that, that not factoring in, there's no cell towers in Kansas. That's a, that's like a moral failing, right? I mean, maybe that sounds too preachy. But, I let my family down, I embarrassed myself, I wasn't a good father, I called you a name. I mean I did all these things wrong. And so the guilt that happens in an alcoholic relationship is overwhelming. And it's not just a little guidepost, it's not a compass. It's like it should be like you know, the anvil falling on the wily coyote in the Roadrunner cartoon. It Mm -hmm. should be devastating. But yet, we pick ourselves up and brush ourselves off and promise to do better and then do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so the guilt that's associated with alcoholic relationships is different. And it's not healthy. So if you're feeling that kind of overwhelming guilt, you need to find a way to change the status quo. Because, you know, it's the, the pop culture... Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's the kind of guilt that you, when you when you keep trying to drink and keep trying to drink and keep trying to figure it out, and you put rules around it and the rules don't work and you try to some new rules and those rules don't work and you promise to try harder and you're dry for a couple of weeks and then you decide, I think I've got this figured out, I'm going to try again, and the same thing keeps happening. That is insanity and that that's the kind of guilt that will eat you up
1: is that the kind of guilt that leads to shame?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I know that there are you know, definitions of what the difference is between shame and guilt. To me, guilt is I feel it, shame is you made me feel it. Um I think they're pretty it in my simple mind they're pretty interchangeable.
1: Yeah, cuz I'm wondering if like many times that you feel guilty about your um, inability to control or contain or fix the problem, then you start projecting. So maybe you're projecting some of that onto your not non-drinking spouse in that you're so eaten up with guilt that you think that every time I open my mouth or look at you when you have a beer or, you know, Have you know that, or have a bad day, and I look at you because I'm worried that you're going to drink, like that. You're projecting your guilt on me, and it's coming off as shame. Do you know what I mean? I do,
0: I do. And this, so we're getting complicated, but this is where I was hoping we would go with this. The kind of healthy guilt that we talked about in the you know in our current situation where alcohol isn't part of our lives anymore. That's healthy. Never, I didn't ever feel yesterday like you were guilting me. You were more involved with him signing up for that job, and I could very easily have said, Well, you should have looked into it more, but I didn't. I, I didn't feel any need to guilt you or to shame you. When it's an alcoholic relationship, again, in this insanity category where I keep trying the same thing over and over again, and it keeps going bad. You know, there's every reason for you to to dig deeper and to you know the things that you say lead to me feeling guilty. And I don't think that's necessarily. I I, the only reason I think that that's a problem is because it's futile. I don't think it's necessarily your job to not make me feel guilty when I drink too much and pass out in front of the kids and there's beer cans everywhere. It's not your job to. It's definitely not your job to clean that up for me, or to make me feel okay about that. Anything, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. If someone was to think that that's your job to clean that up for me, but yeah, if if you here here's, I'm not saying this very well. If your actions or your comments are making me feel guilty, I need to look in the mirror, not look at you. What is it that I'm doing? That allows me to live in this guilty feeling all the time. And clearly it's alcohol. I mean, if you hit, if a week from now you bring up the fact that I blew off that... I didn't blow it off, but I screwed up that, that video call and tried to make it an audio call and didn't work out. I'm going to look at you like, why are you talking about that a week later? I'm not going to feel guilt from it. I'm going to think something like, what's what's going on? So... So yes, you know, you had the power when I was drinking to make me feel more guilty than I already felt about situations. But it's not your fault. It's the it's the action that's putting me in the situation of the overwhelming guilt. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I want to talk about is the guilt from your side of the fence because we see that a lot. We we've talked about how alcohol changes both people, both the drinker and the loved one. There were lots of times when I drank too much and I was nasty to you and you got nasty right back. Did you feel guilty about that?
1: Um, yes, most of the time I did.
0: There like, were probably a like few. In times, the moment, next day
1: It it varied. You know, sometimes like it would pop out of my mouth and then it would start an argument and I would be like, Oh God, why did I say that? And I felt I felt guilty and I felt mad at myself that I couldn't have just contained it. Other times it was like maybe a couple days later because I could see how hurtful I had and nasty I had gotten and how it really broke down the relationship and disintegrated, you know, the two days in between like while we were licking our wounds. Um, and sometimes I didn't feel guilty because I was... I mean, just quite frankly, I was so angry and mad that it felt good to like... Blow up. Yeah. You know, to get it out because it had been building for so long. When, you, God, when I have a bit of a temper.
0: When you did feel guilty, did you feel guilty because you thought you should have known better? Because when I was drunk and irrational, you should have kept your mouth, you know, certainly you didn't feel guilty because you thought the things that I were saying were correct. Right. But did you feel like you should have known better and walked away and Known there was no reasoning with me. Is that why you felt guilty?
1: Yeah, that's most of the time why I felt guilty. Like, why? Why did you waste your time? Why did you try to reason with you know a drunk person? You know better. You're the sober one. Um, or I felt guilty that my feelings maybe could have you know, and my opinions that I expressed and the things I said were hurtful. But maybe they weren't trying, like, it wasn't like me trying to reason with a drunk person. It's just that was my answer or the way I answered or responded. Like, was more hurtful than it should have been because I was angry. So, you know, kind of like I felt guilty of kind of stirring the pot. Yeah. You know, taking a chance saying something that I know that could start an argument.
0: A lot of the folks that we get to know become, you know, they use the term investigators. They become, they're searching for hidden bottles or they're trying to find a way to count how much their spouse has drank. You did some of that. I want to say not a lot of that, but I want to hear from you. I know there were times where you were like, Matt, you've had nine beers. And I'd be like, wow, how'd you know that? You counted sometimes, but not all the time. What What was your relationship with being an investigator?
1: Um, they were... I never, liked marked bottles. I would sometimes, like, look in the liquor cabinet because it was just, like, on the top shelf of something to see if it looked like... If you looked like you were a little more out of hand than what a couple... What you said, you know, you were just drinking beer and it was six or whatever... I would kind of look to see if it looked like the bottles were removed because I am in that closet with putting food away, and oftentimes I would push them towards the back so then maybe I could hear them sliding forward. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. I'd push them towards the back. Especially if, like, because I occasionally still drank, and I didn't want you to drink all the vodka if it was up front, so I would push it towards the back. You make
0: it sound like we had a lot of bottles. Just once. One, one.
1: <laughs> But, I mean, you're not that, I mean, you're not super tall that you could have reached up there and grabbed it without it making some sort of noise or needing some help. So it would have slid across. Like a across. chair to stand up. Yeah, so it would have slid across the shelf. Because I never marked bottles. I never, like, watered anything down. I counted when our recycling used to be on the floor by the refrigerator where you kept the beer. That made it a little more convenient <coughs> to, like, glance over. You know, like, if I had taken recycling out recently and Did emptied you... it, I could kind of count. But I counted a lot. Like, I would always, like, check in the mornings to see if there were... um Beer bottles or um, cans or leftover glasses that you didn't finish downstairs in the morning before the kids went down. (coughs) Or
0: when I woke you up. Did you ever feel guilty about counting?
1: No, I didn't. Because I don't think I did it often enough. Yeah. But you never really were hiding it because you wanted to make sure that I knew that everybody drank like this. You weren't, you weren't,
0: uh, you know, uncommon. I was just hiding the amount drinking. I was drinking.
1: You were hiding the amount you were drinking was... sometimes. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me, like your little, you know, I, I would, sometimes I would taste your drinks, like when you went to the bathroom when you drank, like, vodka and tonic to see if it was just all vodka or if there was any tonic in there.
0: Yeah, I I liked <laughs> my... Uh...
1: They were a little strong. Most of the time, I <laughs> could tell it was just all
0: vodka. Yeah. I mean, if I said there was tonic in there, there was tonic in there. It Just not much.
1: Just a splash.
0: Just a, a splash. I probably had the proportions reversed from what you would get at the bar, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the people that we get to know, they... They I think you're right. They it's because they've got someone that's flat out telling them, I'm not drinking. And yes. they are. So that, that investigation becomes but it, it becomes like a compulsive thing. And when they're trying to learn about detachment and they are trying to let that be their problem, I'm gonna live my life, I'm gonna work on my recovery, I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid alcohol myself, I'm gonna be healthy, and yet they're They find themselves looking through the couch cushions for airplane bottles. They feel guilty about that.
1: Yeah, and see, you didn't do that, so I didn't really have to worry about that. I'm sure there were times where you bought little ones just so you could, like, maybe drink on the, you know, on the way to somewhere. I don't know. But maybe occasionally you had bought one, like, just on your way home if, like, it had been a, you know, bad day and we were fighting and you just, you wanted vodka, but you really wanted to have a shot of whiskey or something I mean, I could see you doing something
0: like that, but I never I didn't bought ha- an airplane bottle. Okay, yeah,
1: that would probably be me because that would be my two or three drink bottle.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you had, I probably drank your airplane bottle, but I yeah, I never, I never bought one. But so again, you know, people feel overwhelming sense of guilt because they get turned into an investigator by this disease. Going back to your thoughts on moral compass, you know. The, this is not This is not like a gray area you're trying to navigate if you're looking through the couch cushions for bottles or if you're looking for a hidden vodka bottle behind the toilet or something like that it's out of hand man you are in overwhelming territory and so the guilt that you're feeling is it's not the healthy kind it's not the guilt as a natural motivator kind it's it's just a bad bad situation you're dealing with like like you know for instance the other thing on my list of of reasons that people feel guilt from the loved one side of things is when they're dealing with the should i stay or should i go question we've talked many times about how that's a lot less cut and dry than people think people think we hear it all the time oh i'm just going to stay till the kids get out of high school i can i can Grit, you know, grit and bear it for another four years until my youngest is um, gotten through high school, because that's what's best for the kids. It's not always best what's best for the kids. Sometimes what's best for the kids is to see that loved one who is getting walked all over stand up, take a stand, protect the kids, and move on. You know, and get a right. divorce and move on. And um, so the. The guilt that is associated with the should I stay or should I go question that's not a question you should have to be grappling with on a daily basis or a weekly basis this is big you know I'm trying to draw the distinction between natural guilt that we feel as we go through our everyday lives and we do our best and we are conscious and aware and loving and caring and conscientious, and we make mistakes because we're humans. Differentiate between that guilt and the guilt that we feel when we're involved in this traumatic, chaotic, alcohol-induced situation—the kind of thing that no human should have to deal with, but millions do anyway. Um, That—that's—that's that's not the healthy kind of guilt. Does it make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, I think that when, back to the first point that you were making, when people that are the loved ones of an alcoholic are looking for those hidden bottles and looking for ca- and counting, and because they are being lied to and deceived, and they feel guilty about that, and you were saying, you know, because they're in over their head, and that's not the healthy kind of guilt and that goes further away from feeling guilty about that they feel embarrassed a lot of the times because they have to do that because yeah. that's what their relationship has has become and I think they feel but they also feel like they have to get answers and to be proving to themselves because they might be instinctually they know it's there mm-hmm. but they have to prove themselves because they've been gaslit for so long yeah. so they're looking for validation
0: Yeah,
1: and so it's a very convoluted yucky mess of feelings that that I think the loved ones have to go through when they're yeah. in that situation and they you know and I would love to say they shouldn't feel guilty about it um, but they're going to feel guilty
0: yeah, it's hard to tell people how to feel. Yeah, But that's that's a great point you make. You are both justified and feeling guilty at the same time. The investigation that you're doing, sometimes, if it's for the safety of your family, if you haven't mastered the art of detachment, if you haven't set boundaries, if you haven't figured that stuff out yet, sometimes the investigation is the thing that you're doing in survival mode. And it's both... In that case, the right thing for you to be doing, and also something that you can feel guilty about. If you're thinking about divorcing someone that you've, you know, pledged your life to, that's something that can bring about feelings of guilt and still be the right thing to be considering. And so, this is, you know, kind of tying this back into the, the listener question about therapy. This is where getting help can be really, really helpful. I didn't need any help yesterday when I felt guilty about my son's job and me not being on the call that I had committed to. I needed 20 miles of Kansas wheat fields to let me beat myself up and clear my head and then move on with life. And that's about all I needed in that situation. But if you're dealing with these alcohol-induced overwhelming situations of guilt and blame and shame and being gaslit and are you listening to your own instincts or are you being overwhelmed by your insecurities that's where you really deserve help whether that's individual therapy or finding a group and being a part of something where people really understand you know back to my original notion about therapy and it being silly and why why do you need to talk to that person why don't you just talk to me sometimes it feels unbelievably relieving and it's a positive experience and it's there's growth and healthfulness involved in having someone relate to what you're saying and Respond in a positive way and make you feel like you're not crazy and make you feel like you're not alone. And so whatever resource that you look to, when you're in an overwhelming situation, overwhelming guilt situation, not the normal kind, not the moral compass kind, not the natural motivator kind, but the bad kind, you deserve help. You don't just need help, you deserve help.
1: Absolutely.
0: I know it has helped both of us to interact with so many people that are going through this it helps us to process any residual guilt that we have from our actions when I was drinking and it helps us to just understand what other people are going through and be a part of kind of a group solution which is what this you know this work is all about and what this podcast is about I mean people are listening to this That we don't know, and people are listening to this that we will never know. And they're getting little nuggets out of this conversation, hopefully, that make them feel like they're not alone. And that, hopefully, can ease some of that guilt that they're feeling, and um, they don't have to drive all the way to Kansas to uh, ease their guilt. Which is good. So... If you've got any residual guilt yourself, Sherry, about the incident with our son, you're at home now. You can just go pet a cat. <laughs> Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved
1: an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at
0: org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety,